I hope you brought your Bible with you this morning. I hope you'll uh, grab it now and open it to the John chapter 14 and let's um, read from that. But before I read my text, I want to introduce someone to you. He is uh, the latest addition to the staff here at Grace Evand. For some time, we have been looking for someone to, um, to head up the whole athletic ministry of Grace Evand. Um, and we have found a man. It's, it's, an, it's a terribly interesting story. Um, he's been working in the corporate world for 27 years uh, with a defense contractor in Northern Virginia. He has the highest clearance that is afforded in the land that is higher than the CIA. But since and felt God's call out of that uh, corporate world and into something that is kingdom building. So we have hired him. He doesn't start till the 16th of February, but he's here with us this morning. Kevin, would you please stand up, please? Kevin Weeders. So we're glad to have you. Welcome. So all of you who have children who play sports, you're going to want to get to know that guy. (laughs) I promise. Now, let's, um, let me read my text. It's in John chapter 14. Uh, beginning in verse 15, and uh, I'll read through verse 18. It reads like this. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that word endures forever. Guys, we're resuming or returning to our study that we really left behind uh, on December the 7th the study of what I entitled the Paschal Discourse of Jesus Christ, chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John. I called it that because all of the events that take place there in these four chapters occur during the Passover, Jesus' last Passover before he's arrested and and, um, betrayed, arrested, and crucified. So um, it's these, this, it's some of it takes place in the upper room, some of it takes place on the Mount of Olives, but it all takes place during the Passover or the Paschal Discourse of Jesus Christ. Um, It's a section, these four chapters, that was described by one man as a a casket full of uh, spiritual jewels. And and I think he's right. I think this section is one of the richest in all of the scriptures, and uh, we're in the midst of our study of it. Gang, what I read you this morning, verses 15 through uh, 18, was our text back on December the 7th. Uh, That's a month and a half ago. And I told you then that verse 15 um, is a section which introduces us um, to the Holy Spirit. That is where the Holy Spirit steps out of the shadows and into the spotlight, a spotlight that is put on him by Jesus himself. Um, which is somewhat unusual for the Holy Spirit because he normally stays in the background. Uh, Some commentators talk about the shyness, the shyness of the Holy Spirit. 
And we're going to talk about that more when we, when we get to John uh, 16, 14. But um, in my title, you may have noticed that I called him the unknown God. Now, guys, I'm not using that term like Paul used it in Acts 17 when he's in Athens and he's, he's speaking to the Athenians about the unknown God. Uh, all I mean is this, that in the main, uh, the Holy Spirit is somewhat unknown, even though there's been all of this ballyhoo about, because of the Neo-Pentecostal movement, about the Holy Spirit. I would say to you, he still remains largely unknown. Now, gang, <clears throat> back on the 7th of December, I focused your attention on the first seven words of this paragraph. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I said then, there's no such thing as an authentic believer who does not obey. That is an emphasis that you're going to find two more times, even in this chapter, John 14. It's an emphasis that you cannot dismiss. You must not think too lowly. You must keep in the forefront of your mind. If you say you love this Jesus, people who love him, obey him. That's how this paragraph, this section opens. But having addressed that, we now move on to remove this unknownness about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do it over, over uh, it's four or five Sundays. What, what I've got for you guys is a, is a five-part series on God the Holy Spirit. So I have the distinct privilege and honor of introducing you to the Holy Spirit. Not, not that you've never met, but I would suggest that your relationship has never been developed. Perhaps because um, you know so little about him. Or perhaps because some of what you've heard about him has been a bit um, uh, skewed, sketchy. And so um, what we're going to try to do is refresh ourselves about who he is and what he does. Guys, do you see it in the text? I didn't, I didn't choose this subject. Jesus forces it upon us. He says, and I will ask, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another help, helper to abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. And there it is. From here to the end of this discourse, the Holy Spirit is going to be woven in and out of everything that Jesus says. And so what we're going to do is try to take four or five weeks and um, get to know better this part of the Trinity that I would suggest is largely unknown. Now, who is he and what does he do? Gang, we could talk about that for hours. Um, we won't, at least this morning. But um, I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. All we're going to focus on this morning is who he is. Okay. Then in the other uh, installments, we'll talk about what he does. But this morning, just who is he? 
Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, simply stated, he is a divine person. Now, guys, that's not as simple as it sounds. But that's what we want to talk about this morning. That he is a divine person. Let's talk, first of all, about him being a person. If I hear it one time, I hear it 50 in the course of a year, the Holy Spirit referred to as it. Ladies and gentlemen, he is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Um, He's not a force. He's not a... He's not a power source. He's not an influence. He's not some kind of electrical shock. He's a person with all of the qualities of personhood. Let me show you some. Notice in our text, Jesus says he calls him he. And he, not it, he. Then he says, I'm going to send you not help. I'm going to send you a help. It's not that help is on the way. A helper is on the way. Jesus is describing him here as a person. But if you look elsewhere in the New Testament, you'll find things like this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. When there is this distribution uh, of spiritual gifts. All of you have spiritual gifts and they were distributed to you by the Holy Spirit, and the text says, just as he wills. This divine person has a will, and his will is exercised in the distribution of spiritual gifts. Secondly, I think you all know this, the the Holy Spirit has feelings. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Um, Romans chapter eight, verse 27 talks about him being intelligent because he is, um, he's the, he has a mind. So he has a will, he has feelings and he has a mind because he's a person. You know, guys, I think the reason that we struggle with the Holy Spirit being a person is because he is non-corporeal. Now, that's, not, that's just a big word that means he doesn't have a body. The Latin word is corpus, means body. He's non-corporeal, he doesn't have a body. Uh, and, and, and the older creeds of the church called him the Holy Ghost. If you've been raised in the church, you remember him called the Holy Ghost. You know, when I was a kid, um, I was raised in Longview Heights and there was a, there was a movie theater in that little neighborhood. And every now and then uh, my parents would give me some money to go to the movie. And, um, um, I had cost 50 cents to get in, whatever it was. And you got two movies. You got a movie, then you got some cartoons, then you got another movie all for a quarter or 50 cents or whatever it was. But uh, oftentimes in the cartoon section, which was always my favorite, the cartoon section had this cartoon called Casper, the friendly ghost and had a sheet over it, you know? And that's the way the, the word ghost has been so degraded in our culture that when it, when it comes to the Holy Spirit and he's called the Holy Ghost, we don't know what to, we don't know how to handle that. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, he is without body, but he is a person with a mind, with a, with feelings and with a will. 
Now, at the very least, in light of all that, don't ever again call him it. He's not an it. He's a him. And and beyond that, he is also to be, he's worthy of worship as are the other two members of the Trinity. He's a person, but he is a divine person. When Susie and I first got married, um, you know, I worked for Procter & Gamble. Uh, We'd been married a couple of months. We both became Christians on the same night. And um, we were living in Fort Lauderdale, and um, I worked for Procter & Gamble. And Procter & Gamble would shut down the company for two weeks every summer, and everybody took their vacation at the same time. All P&G employees took their their vacation at the same time. And we didn't have two times to rub together, so the only thing we could afford is to drive to Memphis and stay one week with her parents and one week with my parents. Her father, dear man, um, was a... (laughs) I guess I can say it. He was an elder in a very liberal Presbyterian church. And his Presbyterian church had given him what was called the Confession of 66. The new confession of faith. The confession of 66. And my father-in-law had been introduced somehow to Chuck Swindoll and he was reading Chuck Swindoll's books and he was a growing little believer and he was an elder and so he was given this thing called the Confession of 66. And so he, he, when, when we were up there on vacation for one of those weeks, he said, um, Jimmy, I want you to look at this thing and see what you think about it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is the confession of a very large denomination in this country the confession of 66 and one of the immediate glaring errors is that the Holy Spirit was deprived of his deity in that document. Gang, let me, um, there's all kinds of ways to demonstrate the deity of the Holy Spirit in the New but let me just show you one that I think is pretty simple. It's in Acts chapter 5. If you want to find it, you may recall the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira are the, the, the two people who sold their piece of land. And then they brought the, the proceeds of the land to Peter. And they lied about the sum so they could keep back a little bit for themselves. You remember that story? And um, Peter looks at them and um, says in verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit. Then drop down one verse. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Because in the mind of Peter, if you lied to the Holy Spirit, you lied. You lied to God. Gang, um, because in the mind of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is God. There's a couple of what we call Trinitarian formulas in the New Testament. Uh, You know of one of them that's really familiar. It's, uh, It's in Matthew 28, and it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that and the other Trinitarian formula are downright inexplicable if the Holy Spirit is not God. You are to baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
And oh, and this um, lovely influence uh, that's something. Gang, there is one name into which people are to be baptized, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is equally as God is the Son and the Father. Here's the other formula, the other Trinitarian formula. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Listen to this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Gang, do you know what kind of nonsense it would be to say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the electrical shock? No, ladies and gentlemen, um, these two Trinitarian formulas are downright inexplicable unless God the Holy Spirit is as much God as is the Son and the Father. But gang, go back to the text. All I'm trying to demonstrate to you is that he is a person, but a divine person. And notice what Jesus says. I'm going to send you a helper. That's not what he says. I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to send you another helper because you see, um, I'm a helper and then I'm going to send you one that's just like me. I'm going to send you another helper. Gang, the Christian has two helpers, Jesus and then one just like him, the Holy Spirit of God. The gift of the Son is followed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he gets so neglected and misdefined. Uh, We either think too much or too little of him. But ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit is Jesus' successor. Gang, he takes over where Jesus left off. By the way, you may remember this. Did you realize that there is one author to the book of Luke and Acts? You did know the same man wrote both of those books, didn't you? Uh, Luke wrote Luke, but Luke wrote Acts too. Did you know that? There are two volumes of a two-volume set. And he starts off the Gospel of Luke this way. He says, um, it seemed to me, O excellent Theophilus, Luke is writing his gospel to a guy by the name of Theophilus. And he wants to lay out all of the events of the life of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you, oh, excellent Theophilus, so that you can know everything that Jesus did. And then he comes to volume two, Acts 1.1. And he says, and by the way, oh, excellent Theophilus, you know all that stuff that I wrote in volume one about what Jesus began to do and teach? Well, now he's continuing it. How? How did he continue it? Through this helper that he he sent. He is the successor to everything that Jesus started. Jesus started it and the Holy Spirit is continuing it. But thirdly, gang, the Holy Spirit also does things that only God can do. For instance... I mean, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He makes intercession. Hmm. He intercedes with the Father for his people. That's one thing that only God can do. Um, In Luke chapter 1, 
you understand, do you not, that he brought about the virgin birth. Remember, don't worry, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and all of a sudden you'll be pregnant. Remember that? Or in Titus chapter three, did you know that Titus 3, 5 says that the Holy Spirit saves? Uh, We're going to come back to this one later in in the other installments. But guess, here's what the text says. Not by works of righteousness that you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Mm, Washing and renewing by the Holy Spirit is how he saved you. He... um, He makes intercession. He brought about the virgin birth. He saves. And not only that, he creates. Did you realize that? Or at least he participates in creation. Genesis chapter one, verse two, the Holy Spirit broods upon the waters. And then one other thing, he can be sinned against. You know about it. Matthew chapter 12 and Jesus says, all other sin can be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that, that's unpardonable. Now, guys, as for our text, it tells you something about his deity, too. Look at it. There are three prepositions in our text. Verse 16, no, verse 17, no, verse 16. Um, I give you another helper that he may be with you. Look at verse um, uh, 17. He dwells with you. Do you see those two withs? Mm-hmm. They're both in English as W-I-T-H. But they're different Greek words. The first one that he may be with you is the Greek word meta. The second one is the Greek preposition para alongside of. And then the third one, and he will be in you. Epsilon nu, E-N, in. He's going to be with you. He's going to be alongside of you. And he's going to be in you. Because, ladies and gentlemen, at the center of the Christian's experience, in the middle of your life, The Holy Spirit has taken up residence within you. Remember 1 Corinthians 6? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know why? Because he is a divine person. I have one helper in heaven. And I have one helper inside me. Well, Dr. Young, that's all real nice, and, uh, you know, I like that stuff, I guess, but, uh, you know, is that all you're offering us this morning? I mean, are you, uh, all you're going to give us is a little bit of doctrinal soundness, you know? Am I going to, am I supposed to leave here and, uh, you know, just knowing more about God the Holy Spirit? Yeah. And what's the matter with that? I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, your antipathy towards doctrinal truth is going to get you in trouble. Your greatest protection right now is that you, your greatest safety is to know the truth because there's a lot of error that wants to attack you. But you want some more. 
you say, okay, I get all that. Divine person, so what? Okay, here's a little more for you. Guys, I'm not trying to play the cultural card, but I think this is pretty, I think you'll all agree with this. We, uh, we are living in a pretty turbulent time and we all carry around a bag full of fears. Ooh, we're afraid of ISIS. We're afraid of unemployment. We're afraid of cancer. We're afraid of abandonment or um, desertion. We're afraid of old age and loneliness. We're afraid of death. Now, into the teeth of all of those fears, into the teeth of all of those fears, God says, he promises us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said that to us. In, um, in Hebrews 13, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The, the, the mental picture that came to mind when I read that, it's like, it's like a, a bridegroom and a bride who are at their wedding and they're setting up in front of some preacher and, and the, bri- the bridegroom turns to his bride and, and he says, I will never ever let go of your hand. You know, those are some pretty sweet words. Those are some pretty, those are some pretty rich words. I, even if I don't even believe them yet, there's still some pretty sweet words that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Boy, I mean, uh, that's nice to think about even if I don't believe it. But here's my point, ladies and gentlemen. How does God keep that promise. How does God keep the promise that he will never leave me nor ever forsake me? How does he pull that off? He keeps that promise through the redemptive, gracious, helping work of God, the Holy Spirit. I am not alone. I am not abandoned. Even when my fears overwhelm me, I am indwelt by a divine person who my Savior sent to carry on his work in me. Ladies and gentlemen, if I am in Christ, I am indwelt. But I can't say that to you if you're not a Christian. My friend, you're pretty much on your own. Let me ask you this. Does any of this move you? Does any of this intrigue you? Does any of this um, appeal to you? Is there there any kind of stirring 
that this gives you. You know why that is, don't you? It's because God the Holy Spirit is drawing you. You know how the Bible closes? You know what you know what it says last? It says this. The Spirit, the Spirit, and the bride say come. In the name of that Spirit and the Son and the Father, I say to you, come. Oh God, um, at the very least, would you make sure that what your people have heard is true? Where it is true, would you bless it to the understanding and application of your people? Where there is any error, would you stop up their ears so that they would not hear a word that was spoken? But Father, what we need is to know you and know you in all of your beauty, all of your fullness, all of your grandeur, all of your sovereignty. And so we trust that the Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us into all truth. But we also long to see men and women one to Christ, but their eyes will never be opened. Their ears will never be unstopped to see and hear the beauty of the gospel unless the Holy Spirit brings that about. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, do that work. Grant that men may come to life and see that their greatest need is not for a better port, bigger portfolio. Their greatest need is for forgiveness and deliverance from sin. Something only found in Christ Jesus the Lord. We ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name.